be here. Thank you for taking a Saturday uh, off to come up here and be here. Pray that the Lord would bless your time and encourage you, give you some tools to, for your own personal life, and then as you work with other people. Uh, I'm going to introduce my brother James. Uh, James and uh, Jeanette are sitting back here in the middle, and uh, James and Jeanette uh, have been at Grace for a fair number of years, what, five, six years, something like that, down in Bozeman, maybe even more. Uh, they were in our college ministry, and they met there, and then uh, James did an internship, and Jeanette then did an apprenticeship, I think, with a college ministry, and then the Lord brought them together in marriage, and uh, uh, boy, we've been blessed to have them on our staff uh, the last couple years, and uh, this summer they're going to be moving to Florida. They've been offered a full-time internship down there in uh, Jupiter, I think it is, right? Jupiter, Florida, uh, with a gentleman named Jerry Rag, and, and uh, so anyway, they're going to be heading out in May to go do that, and so we have just a couple more months with them, and uh, both of them serve on our counseling team. Uh, we have about 16 certified counselors, and they are two of them. And so on Mondays, they give their time to walk with people who are struggling in life. And so anyway, we're just really blessed to have James and Jeanette as part of our family, part of our church, and part of our counseling team. So James, why don't you come on up, and, and uh, you're going to teach us on counseling and discipleship, I think, right? Yes. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Um, it's so good to be here. Thank you for, like Blake said, uh, sacrificing your Saturday to be here. Um, when I was talking with our pastoral staff about my departure to go to Jupiter, Blake was the last person I wanted to talk to because he loves me and didn't <laughs> want to see me leave. And so I was like, all right, Blake, here we go. Um, I got kind of a bad news for you. And we talked, but he was so gracious. He's such a believer in in longevity of ministry in one place, and I'm sure you guys have benefited from his ministry and Pastor William's ministry being here, now coming up on 25 years, right, William? Yeah, and so um, he's just been such a counselor, supervisor, cheerleader for me, and just as I grow in the Lord, and so we're, we're all blessed by Blake Shaw and William Grinder's ministry, and so thank you for having me here. Um, if you would, grab your Bibles and Meet me in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I want you to imagine if God were to show up at your doorstep and ask you to come up with a church planning strategy. Just come up with a plan. Okay, I'm going to send you somewhere, but I want you to come up with a plan of how you would go about planting a church. And then he adds to this little stipulation, and he says, it's going to be one of the worldliest places on earth. In fact, the people in this area are known for their lies and deception and immorality and laziness. And to your relief, God tells you, okay, there's actually going to be some believers, but there's also going to be a lot of people who profess to know Christ but they deny him by their deeds. You might be kind of scratching your head going, okay, what am, I gonna, what am I gonna do? What could I possibly bring to the table to plant a church in the midst of this kind of environment? And this was the exact dilemma that Titus, Paul's son in the faith, oh, sorry about that, found himself in the island of Crete. 
The island of Crete uh, was about 100, 150 miles long in length, 35 miles in width, and the people of this island were known for the, their laziness, for their immorality. I mean, it's not really hard for our culture in America to, to kind of imagine what that, would have been, what that would have been like. In fact, Crete was such a deceptive culture that they came up with this verb. So to cretize someone, so taking that island, to cretize someone is to deceive them, to lie to them, to, to play the, 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 the trickster. And in fact, it became a really noble and admirable thing in the culture to cretize a Cretan, because then you out-trick a trickster. I mean, that's how deceptive and evil the culture was. And yet this was the island that Paul said, Titus, I'm going to send you to plant a church. I'm going to send you to establish a counseling ministry, to establish a discipleship culture. And so this is what we get to look at this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to look at what was it that Paul wanted Titus to prioritize. He didn't send Titus into this island going, all right, you got to start a political campaign. you got to make sure you get together a group of social people and they come up with some reforms for the education system of the island. He doesn't say that. In fact, what Paul tells Titus in chapter 1 is he says, establish qualified leaders in the church. Chapter 2, he says, make sure the church has a, a vibrant discipleship culture. In chapter 3, he says, make sure the people in the church are submissive to governing authorities around them. And so nothing about some political reform, but he just says, this is what the church of Christ needs to be. And this morning, we get to look at chapter 2, and we find ourselves in the middle of Paul sharing his heart for discipleship to Titus. So look with me. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2 through 6, Paul writes to Titus, he says, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older men, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge young men to be sensible in all things. You know, I love conferences like this because I think it's so important for the church to not lose our purpose, to not lose our 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 God-given mission, which is to glorify God by being and making disciples. And in the last several decades, the church has seen a large surge in, in discipleship. There's been a great emphasis on discipleship in the church. I believe that emphasis is overall positive. It's been a good thing to see the church be committed to the great commission that was given in Matthew 28. But as you know, with anything that is good... When it loses biblical mooring, when it loses the, 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 the ground and the foundation of scriptural text attached to it, we can begin to be confused. And in fact, there are, I believe, two ways that discipleship has 
suffered in the last couple years, last several years. Number one, I believe discipleship has become programmatic, meaning it's become really this rigid system of you do you go through a list of books, you hand them this supplementary resource, and then that you, you just call that discipleship. It's just become this kind of cookie-cutter method. On the other hand, it's become very casual, meaning you just sit down with someone, you kind of talk about your week, you catch up, and you just call that discipleship. You just process, oh, what's going on with your life? Oh, this is what's going on in my life, and that's discipleship. There's no purpose, there's no direction, there's no goal. And so both of these ways, I believe, are problematic because the discipleship that Jesus provided to his 12 men was a, an, an intentional, hands-on model. And in fact, the, the model that Jesus gave to the church is a multi-generational model, as we will see in Titus 2. And so it is right to say that discipleship is the lifeline of the church. Without discipleship, the church will disappear. It will die. And this whole idea of discipleship is, I believe, church-ocentric, meaning it's the whole church discipling one another. It's the whole church counseling one another. I mean, how many of us, if I were to ask the question, has all the spiritual gifts? None of us have, you know, have all the spiritual gifts. And so the, the closest Thing that we could give someone to Christ who did in fact have all the spiritual gifts is the church. Not one person in the church, but the whole church. Being diverse, having multiple members, but one body. And so, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I know that was kind of a long introduction, but it's the church's call to discipleship. That's the title of the message. And I've and in fact, this morning we will look at four distinctive calls given to the members of the church so that the church of Christ will be all that Christ wants her to be. And as we will see, in the infinite wisdom of the Spirit, no one in the church is exempt. No, no one gets to be like, okay, I'm going to just be a pew wormer. I'm going to sit in the sideline and watch other people. I'm going to just point them to the pastor, point them to the, the professional counselors. None of us get to do that. And so there are four calls. Let's look at our first call, the call to godly older men. Look at verse 2 of Titus 2. It says, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Right out of the gate, Paul begins with the older men of the church. It's almost like Paul saying, men of the church, listen up, the, the leadership burden falls on you. I'm going to begin with you, older men, because you need to lead. You need to be ahead of, ahead of others in, in living a godly life. Now, there's actually a fascinating discussion in my study that I came to around what is meant by older men. 40 years old? 50 years old? 60 years old? I'm not really responsible for making that call. In fact, in the Greek, you know what it says? Older men. So Paul, in his wisdom, just said older men. I mean, however you want to identify that and define that, that's up to you. But older men are called to possess certain qualities because of their maturity, because of their seasoned experience. 
they are called to have these qualities. And, and notice, Paul doesn't say that they, they, he's not commanding anything here. He just says older men are to be this. He just makes a statement. This, this is what in the church older men are to be. And I believe he says this because there was a, probably a cultural pool in the island of Crete. Being, having this island lifestyle, the older men were probably told, hey, just relax. You've, you've arrived. You've reached this spiritual retirement. And so just, just coast. Take it easy. And Paul pushes back on that and turns up the dial a little bit on the older men and says, you are the leaders. You are the examples. You are the, the ones that the younger generations are looking to. And he identifies four qualities that these men are to be known by. Look at them. He says, older men are to be temperate. This word carries the idea of being sober, rational, restrained, meaning that they're level-headed. They're thoughtful and not hasty in their decisions. In fact, they are tempered, both in words and in actions. You could say it this way. The older men are to be known by how careful they are in handling the resources that God's given them. They're careful. They're thoughtful. Secondly, they're dignified. Look at it. Older men are to be temperate or dignified or worthy of respect. This means that they're marked by seriousness and, and gravity because they're so preoccupied by the presence of God um, in all circumstances. They know that when they live, when they think, when they speak, they're doing it in the presence of God. They're dignified. Now, th this doesn't mean he's, he's not kind, that, that he doesn't laugh and he's not pleasant to be around because we look at Jesus, who was probably the most dignified man who ever lived, and yet he was compassionate. He was kind. And so dignity doesn't mean this stoic, cold personality, but it means that they are serious about pursuing holiness. Thirdly, older men are to be sensible. This word describes prudence in one's thought life and conduct. It's knowing what to do and what not to do. And in fact, this word it was so important to Paul when he thought about the culture of discipleship, he uses it for every group that we'll see. It's the quality, I believe, that defines discipleship. To, to, to make sure every member of the church is sensible. They have the conviction and they have a life that matches that conviction, that sensibility, that self-control. Lastly, the older men are to be sound. And, and there are three components to that. They're to be sound or healthy in faith and love and in perseverance. They are marked by a deep trust in God's goodness, and they're known by their constant love for God and people. And, and, and in perseverance is when they face hardship or disappointments or failures as part of, part of life, they, they're gracious in how they respond to those challenges. In short, this is what I believe Paul is saying. Their, their very lives, these older men, their very lives are a counseling session. You, you just look at them and you know, wow, that just counseled my heart. You look at how they speak. You look at how they ha handle trials and you go, 
wow, that just counseled me. That discipled me. Their very lives are exemplary. Now, when older men of the church take on this responsibility, I believe the body at large flourishes. The body at large flourishes because there is security and safety for the rest of the group when the older men provide godly leadership. These are men who are known by the church. They are involved and present. They're not sitting back, but they're in the flow of discipleship. This would be comparable to, to, to a family dynamic when, when, when grandpa gathers the, the whole family and there's, there's his children and his grandchildren and, and he provides this kind of secure presence because he is godly. He fears the Lord. He's not drawn by extreme impulses, but he is steady. And so, that's the call to godly older men. Now, let's look at the next call. This is the call to exemplary older women. Look at verse 3 with me. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Notice again how Paul begins this verse, older men likewise. This is, this is suggesting that though the audience has changed, the content has not. He's now addressing, he addressed the older men, now he's addressing older women. And the cultural lie that I believe that, that the church in Crete were facing went something like this. You're in your older years, you can loose up, you can loosen up in your speech and your action because you've kind of reached this, you know, haven that, that you can just be whatever you want because you, you can live it up. You, you've been prudent in your younger years and now you've reached your older season years and so you can just kind of be loose around alcohol, you can be loose around how you speak. And you see Paul saw it totally differently. While the culture may have, you know, came up with this, this lie, he said, no, the older women are, are so critical, so important in the life of the church, they need to be imparting what they have learned to the younger generation. Their lives must be worthy of imitation. And in fact, there are again four qualities, four exemplary qualities that these older women are to be known by. Two stated in the positive, two stated in the negative. Look at the first quality. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. It can be literally translated, be fitting of holiness in action. Now, this is, this is kind of a hard adjective to translate, because especially in our culture, because it's not something that we grew up with. It's, it's something like temple-ready holiness, priest-like behavior. So, so imagine in the Old Testament when the priests were getting ready to make sacrifice and they had to go through all these ritual cleansing. Paul's taking that idea and applying it to New Testament church and saying the older women are to take their holiness, their, their purity this seriously. Simply put, these ladies know the reality of belonging to God 
and they're known for that. Don't you love it? Don't you love it when you enter? I mean, I'm sure the church here is like that. When, when, when young ladies walk in, they know that the older women of this church are reverent in their behavior because they want to please God. That, that, that helps the body flourish. In fact, one of the church fathers said it this way, that even their very gait, movement, aspect, speech, and even silence may manifest a certain dignity of holy grace. Everything they do, when you see them, when you interact with them, when you talk with them, it is evident that they love Christ. They're reverent in their behaviors. Second quality, stating in the negative, it says, they're not malicious gossips. Other English translations render it as not slanderers. In the original, it literally reads, not devilish. I mean, Paul, I mean, he, he, had, he had ways with words. He just was right to it. They're not devilish. It's communicating that these women did not have the quality of being an attacker or accuser. They were not in the business of slandering others and talking behind people's back and speaking negative things and spreading lies. But instead, they were known for how forgiving they were, lavishly forgiving. In fact, you know how the church of Christ can be messy at times, right? You don't have to have been a Christian a long time to know there can be some tension and rough edges and people can be messy and fragile, but these older ladies, knowing all of that, having been around all of that, said, I'm going to forgive. I am all about the business of forgiving and not slandering, not gossiping. Thirdly, they were known for not being enslaved to much wine. This is the second quality stated in the negative. She is not yielded to excessive drinking. She does not gravitate towards drunkenness because she, she doesn't want any substance, earthly substance, to control her. The culture in Crete probably said something like this. Older women, I know you've gone through a lot of pains in life. Loneliness, difficulties, challenges. So ease your pain. Ease your pain with earthly substances. And Paul's saying, ladies, you're not to be given to too much wine. You are to be not enslaved to anything of earthly substance, but instead your comfort ought to be found in Christ alone. Now look at the last quality. I love this quality. In verse 3 it says, they're to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. And it says, teaching what is good. She is to be a... a a teacher of good things. This is the only time in the New Testament that Paul uses this word. And I believe Paul, in a sense, kind of came up with this word to, to talk about the older women's responsibility in the church. They are to teach good. And, and here's the beauty of this word. Older women, by the grace of Christ, are to be agents of moral excellence of moral goodness, counselors by example. And here's why, because I believe older women uniquely, because of the parenting years, because of having through, having to juggle multiple responsibilities in the home and in life, they 
walk through a, a host of challenges in life. And, and when those women walk through them by faith, I'm not saying perfectly, but with an enduring faith, they are going to be the best teachers of what is good. Younger women are going to want to learn from them. How do you respond when these circumstances come up? Because I can't figure it out. They have been given the incredible responsibility and the privilege of living exemplary lives. And, and you know this. If you, um, you know when people come to you and compliment you, you, you kind of want to shy away. But, but Paul doesn't want the older women to, to, to kind of hide under a rock. They want their lives to be shown. And so that's why he, what he, why he says, in verse 4, the older women are to be these qualities so that, that's a purpose clause, so that they may encourage the younger woman. So the older women are to be exemplary and godly and holy so that they could encourage the younger woman. That's a discipleship language right there. This is the church being the church. You know, it's, it's really sad when you look at what's going on in our world that social media so often is discipling and counseling our younger women. And Paul definitively says the older women are the ones who are encouraging the younger women. Passing on the wisdom of living a life of piety and devotion to Christ. And the verb here, to, to encourage the younger woman, implies not only instruction, but demonstration. It's both ends. It, it, that, this is why it's such a, when you look at the scriptures, it, the scripture teaches a comprehensive view of discipleship. It's not just sitting down once a week in, in, in a one-hour meeting going, hey, this is what you got to do, this is, this is what the Bible teaches, but, but it's that plus here's how I've done it. In fact, I want you to come with me, sit down with me as I parent my child or children, and here's how I walk through it. It's instruction and demonstration. So now, let's look at the third call. We looked at the call to godly older men, the call to exemplary older women, and now the third call is this, the call to excellent young women. And for those of you young women, you've got a lot of qualities to work on. Paul gives you seven qualities, excellent qualities that young women are to taught to possess. Three of them have to do with personal character, and four of them have to do with home life. Look at the first quality in verse 4. So that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. Now, this quality, I think, tells us something about the teachings of the Cretans. This island lifestyle um, that that. Titus was most likely exposed to and was aware of, and Paul says the women are going to have to learn to love their husbands because the island lifestyle would have taught the young woman to be, hey, just, just live for your senses. Be independent. You, you don't have to have a man. You, you, can just, you can just live your life, and even if you're married, you don't have to be tied to, to that husband. You can just kind of live your lifestyle however you want. Seek beauty above all things. Seek personal reputa reputation above all things. I mean, and that is often the lie 
maybe it's packaged differently, but the lie that our culture tells our young women. You be independent. You, you don't take no for an answer. You just go win how, whatever guy you want through your beauty and influence. No wonder that in, in the counseling room that so many young women struggle with anxiety because the culture is telling them, hey, you got you to go seek this out. You got to seek this pleasure. And none of them will satisfy. And so... Paul tells Titus here that the older women are to teach younger women to love their husband. This word here, love, is not what you would think. It's not agape. It's, it's a different word than agape. Obviously, the, the, we, as Christians, we want to we extend to other people agape love. But here, this is a more of a friendship love. The young women are to be best friends with their husbands. Lifelong companions, supportive and caring, friendship kind of love. And this is the the, the privilege that young women have. This means that she sees herself as an instrument to be used by God in the life of her husband to to support him, to be the greatest Christ-like influence in his life. And guess what? He's a flawed leader. I mean, for those of you who are married, you know, right? For those of you wives out there, you know your husband's flawed. And yet you get to have this privilege of being the greatest influence in his life because you are his best friend. This is precisely why Paul reminds Titus to make sure the older women are encouraging and modeling to younger women to invest Um, love and affections towards their husbands. Now look at the second quality that the younger women are to possess. It says to love their husbands and to love their children. And I might even add, even when it's inconvenient and laborious. The the younger women, again, with with all the responsibilities, they're to love their husbands and they're to love their children. They're to care for them, not only when it's convenient, but especially when it's inconvenient. In the most difficult years of parenting, God has ordained that season to increase, I believe, our love for others and to humble us. And God wants the young woman to remember that a fulfilled life according to his word is a life that is marked by love, a sacrificial love, a Christ-like love. And who better than the older women of the church to counsel younger women, right? That's the whole flow of this text. When the younger women come knocking on the older women's door and go, my husband is a knucklehead, right? (laughs) Help me here. My my children are just going berserk. What do I do? And then the older woman just sips on her tea and says, it's okay. My husband was like that too. My, 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 My children were just like that. But we get to be patient with them. We get to love them. We get to demonstrate grace. How wonderful. I mean, that is discipleship. That's proactive counseling. And that's what Paul is calling the older women and the younger women to participate in. Now let's look at the next qualities for a little bit. The next two are this, sensible and pure. Verse 5, they're to love their husband, love their children, and to be sensible and pure. 
Sensible, again, means to be moderate, to not be given to extremes, self-control. Pure means morally upright, hating sin. I might even put it this way, distant from the worldly pull. They're they're well aware of the standard that the Scripture puts, and so they're careful about how close they get to the things of the world. Again, I believe that the island lifestyle that Crete would have promoted would have been something like this. Hey, the young women, you, you, it's, it's your vibrant years. Just kick back, enjoy yourself. Don't, don't, don't think about tomorrow. Just live for here and now. And so in the midst of this external pressure, Titus tells the young women to be excellent in their inner life of sensibility and moral purity. They're to be modest. They're not to be given to extremes. They're, they certainly don't trust themselves. They're not the ones who go, oh, well, I can go into this thing that, that I know will potentially lead to this other sin, but I trust myself. I, I, can, I can withhold myself from going down that path. Paul is calling them to be women of the highest integrity. Now, let's look at the next quality. Probably, I think, the most offensive to today's culture. However, I believe that to those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, this quality is a wonderful reminder of God-given function and privilege for women. Look at verse 5. To be sensible, pure, and here it is, workers at home. Workers at home. I believe this is speaking of her priority to fulfill household duties. She is a homemaker. Now, this doesn't mean that she, doesn't, she can't have a job, that she can't, Um, have hobbies outside of the home, but it does mean that those things are secondary in comparison to her blessed responsibility and privilege of being a homemaker. She is a family woman. She reflects God's love for the family. She loves the home as her nest for hospitality, ministry, and peace for her husband and children. In fact, she, she won't, she's the kind of woman who can't be legitimately accused for dissatisfaction or laziness or complacency because she's so diligent. She, she's, she's always thinking and planning about how to bless the family because she realizes that is her God-given responsibility in the home. One more quality, actually two more, for the young woman. It says she is to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind. This is idea of the idea of gentleness. She's considerate of others' needs. She's not stingy with her resources. She's not going, okay, how, how big of a mountain of you know, wealth and, and enjoyment and hobbies can I build? But she's always thinking about how can I give? Jesus did say it is more blessed to give than to receive. How could I live that out? She's always thinking. And the final quality is, again, another one that is probably offensive to our culture and the culture of Crete is this, verse 5, kind and being subject to their own husbands. The, The island of Crete, like I said, celebrated autonomy and independence by encouraging young women to to celebrate and pursue uh, external beauty and youth. And they they may have even encouraged flirtation to win over 
men for their own selfish pleasures. But Paul says, women, you are to have a, a husband who may be flawed, but regardless of that, your God-given responsibilities to come under that flawed leadership. In fact, all of us as Christians come under flawed leadership, whether that be in the church, in our, in our governing authorities that God's placed around us. So this is not just for women. It's for both men and women. But in the marital relationship, God does emphasize for women to subject themselves under the leadership of men. Now, Paul gives all these things because he knows that this kind of quality, uh, qualities in a young woman beautifully depicts the relationship that the church of Christ has with her Savior. And so, so for young women, I think what I can encourage you is as you look at these qualities, these kind of daunting qualities, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to reflect to the world and to those around us that, that this is the kind of relationship that the church has with her Savior. And that's exactly what Paul says at the end of verse 5. Look at it. So she is to be all these qualities so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Will not be dishonored. So that she would, she would adorn the doctrine of God. Which, which is something that Paul says later in this chapter, but... That, that, that idea of beautifying the Word of God, beautifying the, the doctrine of God. Now, for the remainder of our time, I want to focus our attention to young men. We, we've talked about the call to godly older men, to exemplary older women, and the call to excellent young women. And now, the final call, the call to sensible younger men. Look at verse 6. It says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Now, notice that Paul tells Titus to urge the young men. Really, the verb carries the idea of exhortation. Instruct, press in on the young men to be sensible, to be self-controlled. As you know, young men need to be implored, exhorted, and instructed regularly. And the one thing, the one quality that Paul says the young men need to be exhorted in is their sensibility, their self-control, to be sober-minded, that they would be restrained in their thought and behavior. And now, I'm sure questions are flying through your mind because you notice Paul simply gives one quality to young men. He gave four to the older men, four to older women, seven to younger women. And however, the young men are given one quality, to be sensible. It's almost like God knows that young men in God's design just had thicker padding in their, in their mind. And so only one's going to go through that. <laughs> and so he says, all right, listen up, young men. One thing, you've got to be sensible. You've got to be sensible. In fact, J.C. Ryle, an English pastor for the, from the 1800s, wrote a short booklet called Thoughts for Young Men. And in the first chapter of this book, he lays out the reasons why young men need to be exhorted to be sensible. 
Here are two that I want to share with you. Number one, he says this, quote, Death and judgments are waiting for young men, even as it waits for others, but they nearly all seem to forget it. The thought of eternity and the end of earthly life brings sobriety to any person, yet young men just seem to neglect it. They just go, well, I can live forever. They live for their own pleasures here and now. That's reason number one. Reason number two that they need to be exhorted is that, quote, what young men will be in all probability depends on what they are now. And again, they seem to forget it. That they don't realize the habits and the patterns that they establish here today are going to have massive implications for the future. One pastor said it this way, what our culture makes adolescence, our culture makes adolescence the destination. I can be young, I can be, I can do whatever I want, I, I, I just am I'm gonna just be the, 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 the boss of my own life and I can just live that way forever. And so Paul says, young men, Titus, need to be urged to be self-controlled. Now, myself being a young man, do I like being exhorted? No, but I must be. I must be exhorted to be sensible. I need to be warned about living for this world. Because there are temptations and cravings that are just being flown towards our young men. And then now, we haven't even talked about the internal struggle that all of us have as sinners to, to, to crave things of this world. Churches, therefore, must instruct young men about the dangers of sin. You see, the world wants the young men to believe that manhood can be snoozed like an alarm clock. It can just wait. It's, it's, it's in the 30s and 40s. And right now, in my, in my 20s, I can just do whatever I want. I'm still a boy. But God says, a real man is not this, this, this view that our culture has of being athletic and successful and wealthy and this macho man mentality, but a real man, according to God, is a man of prudence. He is sober-minded. And in fact, this is, this, is, this, this is even seen in the church, I believe. You know, when you see a 16-year-old young man who come up to you and he's, he's saying, hey, I, I'm spending my free time reading church history. I, I'm, I'm spending my time studying systematic theology. I, I'm really, really loving just studying the book of Ezekiel. Right? You go, oh, 16-year-old boy, like, Doing this, you gotta go, you gotta be a pastor. You gotta be, you gotta go into seminary, a Bible college. I think that's the wrong response. I think we ought to tell that 16 year old that's exactly what a Christian does. A, a Christian loves to study the things of God, loves to study the history of God's church, loves to study what God has, has taught his people about who he is. And so young men of sober mindedness, is going to be urgent and radical in his Christianity. Now, in some translation, it cuts it off at, at the end of verse 6. I believe the beginning of verse 7 should be tied to verse 6. Now, this is not a hill to die on. Um, in fact, commentaries 
differ on whether or not that phrase in beginning of verse 7 should be tied to verse 6 or not. But it says, if, if it was tied to verse 6, it says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, what? In all things. In all things. Take all the elements and areas that young, young men are prone to be, to be not sober-minded, we are to press in and say, in all of these areas, you're to be sensible. Every scope of life needs to be put under the submission of Christ. Again, I, I believe this is the discipleship language, isn't it? Matthew 28, what? Make disciples, go and therefore make disciples, teaching them to observe what? All that I have taught. It is both the duty and the joy of the church to come alongside young men and instill in them a great sense of urgency to wean themselves off of boyish tendencies. Right? We don't want our, our young, young children, young boys to grow up to be boys. We want boys to grow up to be men, and to do that, we need to urge them to be sensible. Wouldn't it be great if the men of our church are Titus 2.6 kind of men? They're sensible. They're, 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 they're trimmed in their, in their fleshly tendencies. They, they don't have too many worldly pulls, but they are just focused, driven, hardworking. So now, do you see, after having gone through those four calls, that discipleship is not this rigid, stoic, one-on-one, programmatic model, but instead it's, it's multi-generational. The older men are known by the members of the church. The older women are the ones who are moving towards the younger women and teaching them to, to be good and to do good. And the younger men are being exhorted and instructed to be sensible. This is the goal and the call of the church. This is when the body disciples the body. The body counsels the body. It, it, is, a, it is a holistic um, corporate effort. And loved ones, the church of Christ needs every member to step up to the plate. It's not like the pastors are there, okay, I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope Pastor Blank is listening to this conference. No, it's all of us. All of us need to step up. God is looking to use clay pots to accomplish this task. Isn't that wonderful? He, he, he pours his grace into our lives so that we would be useful. And we get to present one another mature in Christ. How great is that? How, how great is it, is it for us to get to the gate, gate of heaven and say, we, we've helped each other be more like Christ. We've counseled one another. And, and in this season, when, when, when she was going through a difficult time, when he was going through a challenging trial, we helped each other be more like Christ because the older men were godly. The older women were exemplary. The younger women were excellent. And the younger men were sensible. All this so that we would be like Christ. And that's the church's call to discipleship. And who gets the, who gets the glory at the end of it? Do, do we get the credit? Do we get to go, oh, look at, look at us presenting everyone in Christ, mature in Christ. No, Christ gets all the glory. He's the one who will be praised for our discipleship. And so, are you up for the task? We got some work to do, don't we? Let's pray. Father, what a thrill that 
you've given us sufficient resources so that the church of Christ, your bride, would be exactly what you want her to be. Lord, we are so, so privileged. And yet, we know that the culture um, and the evil one, and really even our own flesh, are against that mission, against that call to make disciples. And so help us be mindful of areas where we can grow. Help us be mindful of areas where we can help others grow. Help us be proactive. Help us be hands-on. Help us be multi-generational. That, that the church is not this place where there are cliques, but the older men and women are pouring into the younger men and women, and the younger men and women are encouraging and serving the older men and women. Lord, we want that to be the church of Christ so that when we, as the church, get to heaven, we get to give you all the glory for uniting us, for making us one body, for gifting us with your wonderful spiritual gifts. So at the end of it all, we get to see Christ magnified so that we get to sing with the church, the people of God, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so we look forward to that day. Until that day, would you keep us humble? Would you keep us fixated on the mission, which is to make disciples by, by, by or glorifying you by being and making disciples? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got a microphone. <laughs> who has questions? Yeah, why don't you come on up, back up here? Surely uh, somebody has some questions uh, for James. How many talk? Thank you, sorry. No, no worries. Yeah, that's good. James? Yes. Um, verse 6 says, in my Bible, yes. it says self-controlled. I like the uh, uh, sensible. Mm -hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense to me. But, and then verse 7, and everything set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. So integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Mm -hmm. Could you apply all of those characteristics to young men too? Because I think he was talking to, um, um, to Titus mm -hmm. and saying, but this is... This is how the young men are supposed to, your young man, live like this. And that's the example you're showing them. So yeah. could you apply those characteristics to them too, as yeah, well as I sensible? Yeah, I think so. Um, so verse 6, the, 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 the audience is young men, plural. Multiple right. young men to be sensible. Mm -hmm. And in verse 7, in all things show yourself singular to be an example. And so I, I believe the audience has shifted to okay. the young men at Crete. But now he's addressing Titus, who is a young man. I believe Titus was maybe in his 40s mm -hmm. um, because Titus and Paul have actually known each other for 15 plus years. I mean, they were great companions. Um, I believe Titus was with Paul during um, some of the missionary journeys, um, even though he's not mentioned in the book of Acts, oddly. So I, I believe that those qualities can apply to young men. And then I, I might even say, specifically for pastors, because Titus was given this um, apostolic responsibility to plant a church mm -hmm. in Crete. And so, so as that 
spiritual leader in the churches in Crete, he needed to be these qualities. But you can, I mean, you can study Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 and look at these elder quali- qualifications and apply them for every believer, right? Because that's kind of the mark of, of maturity. So, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, good question. While you're both up there, yes. this is James Young. James Young. Good to meet you. I'm James Young. But I do get called James Young because people think the J is silent. It is not silent, unfortunately. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Good to meet you, James. Good to meet you. Yeah. Who's, who's up next to ask a question? Surely any, some of you ladies have a question. <laughs> I know. Okay. James, thank you so much. Yes. Craig? I, I, I would just... Uh, I think what, what he was saying, I think Paul just personalizes the rest of the comments to young men. So I think I think you you know just read right straight through to the end of eight. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I mean, it's so fascinating that he's telling a young man to urge young men to be certain qualities, and then and it's almost like he gets to the end of verse seven, where I urge the young men to be sensible in all things, and goes, "Wait a second, Titus, you gotta you gotta have some of these qualities too." And so he says, "Show yourself to be." you know, all these qualities. And so, yeah, it's, uh, he does personalize it. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like the point you made about <coughs> Crete. They're very proud of their, uh, mm-hmm. of their culture. Yes. And uh, you get a chance to uh, watch TV a little bit, watch the commercials, and, you know, we're, yeah. we're Cretans. <laughs> yeah, we're not right? far from them. No, yeah. really aren't. So. That's right. Yeah. And it's wonderful for me to see here in this church so many of you already committed to this. I've been wanting to see this just continue to grow. It's not as if it's, it's a vacuum here that, that none of you are, are wanting to be in discipleship or in discipleship, but that you want to grow in this. And I think that's wonderful. That's what our generation, the, the younger generation, need to see a, a vibrant church with a... With a thriving discipleship culture because like I said it's the lifeline of the church without discipleship I believe that church will the churches will perish Um, so this is a great conference thank you for having me here this is such a joy to see all of you here yeah thank you